Well, hey, that was good, huh? You guys ready to be here this morning? Hey, I'm ready. I came back from a week in Florida. I'm, I'm excited to be here, um, and that was awesome. Honestly, I might have stayed if it wasn't for all of you guys. Uh, if we could convince everybody that we love to move down to Florida, I might, I might go there. Uh, it was really warm there, nice and sunny, not rubbing it in. It was, just, it was really nice. It was our first trip, uh, Jess and I, just the two of us uh, here since Jude's been born, so that was, that was cool. It, the hardest decision I had to make was like, where are we going to go to dinner, or what book am I going to read, or should I take a nap right now? And uh, man, we all need that from time to time, don't we? And I'm, I'm not rubbing in, I promise. It was, it was amazing. It is good to be back. Uh, apparently, Jude got his, uh, his wires crossed a little bit because when his teachers were asking him where we were this week, he told them that we went to heaven. And uh, <laughs> heaven's nice this time of year. It is. The, the funny thing is, like, I was thinking to myself, like, how, like, because I didn't know that at the time. I found that out when we got back, and I was like, man, he just, like, went out right on about his life. Like, he, he's just telling people nonchalantly that we went to heaven, and he's like, he's cool. He's like, it's, it's fine, you know? We went to heaven, so he's, he's good with it. Well, we didn't go to heaven. We just went to Florida, and uh, it was a good time. Um, you know, Jess and I, I'll be honest, are a little bit uh, of food snobs. And so what I like about being in an area I know is, like, I know where to go get the burger that I want. You know, I've tried all, the, all of them out. I know. Uh, but when you're down at a place like this, you have to rely on, say, you know, when you get there and the lady's like, hey, here's all the restaurants I recommend. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, yeah, but did they just, like, pay you or something to, like, tell me which ones to go to? Those are ones they have contract with, I'm sure, whatever. Now, some of the recommendations were good. I'll give it to her. But then you rely kind of on that. You rely on, like, Yelp. And, like, I don't know who it is that takes these pictures for Yelp, but, like, they get some good pictures. You know, like, boom, like, wow, that looks extremely tasty. And then you go and you get to the restaurant, and, like, all whoever writes the descriptions of the things is, like, they're good at that. You know, they're, like, really good writers. Like, I'm, like... I want all of the things, like that all sounds really good, and then I order it, and it comes out, and I'm kind of like, you should have just said Whopper with cheese. I would have known exactly what you meant, you know, like totally did not meet my expectations, and uh, so we had some of that, and maybe you've been in the situation where something has been advertised, but there was a big gap between what was advertised in reality. You've been in one of these situations, and so our first several restaurants were like this, was kind of like, Man, it sounded good, like from scratch, like this ingredient, this ingredient, this ingredient, cooked to perfection, whatever they want to throw in there, like sounds amazing. And then it comes out, you're like, oh, okay, is that what I ordered? Because I'm not really sure, but we had several of those. And then it's amazing, though, like, because we, we spent the whole week, and Jess was like, I just want to have that one dish that's like that unforgettable dish. You're just like, that thing I will remember. And it took us like to the end of the trip, and we actually had already had dinner and we walked, but I was still hungry, and uh, we walked by, and there was just this little teeny, like, taco stand, and I'm like, I could smell it. I'm like, I'm eating dinner again, and uh, so we walked by this taco stand, and I'm like, and Jess is like, look at the nachos, and like, his description is like, that sounds amazing, but I'm preparing myself to be disappointed, because I'd been disappointed over and over again, and so I put my order in, this nachos, it's like $11 for this giant thing of nachos, and here's what it looked like, I, I don't think it does it justice, but this isn't just nachos, like everything they had, like thrown into the nacho bowl, the, chi- the chicken, I don't even know what the meat was, but it was made perfect. I think it was chicken, maybe. I don't know. Uh, al, al, al pastor. What does that mean? Somebody was Spanish. I, it, maybe. I, I don't know. It was amazing, and uh, 
So I, I totally scarfed that down. And I'm like, that was one that like, you know, what was advertised actually was in line with reality. And I love that. And that was our unforgettable dish. And so I didn't just tell you that to make you hungry. Uh, I really told you that because I want to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. And that is these times in our life or these times in our faith journey where what we feel like was advertised is not the reality. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation in your life or in your faith where you're like, man, like I was painted this picture and then the real life version of this is way harder or way messier or fill in the blank than what was advertised. And so today we're talking about this story of Thomas and I feel like Thomas can relate to that kind of thing. Like what he thought was going to happen and what actually happened, at least in the short term because he wasn't patient enough perhaps. He didn't see the full fruition of what was going to happen. And so in the moment, what he felt was disappointment. In the moment, what he felt was doubt. And we're going to be leaning into that story a little bit today. But I think all of us can relate to these times, right, where what's advertised doesn't match up with reality. And maybe it's because of unmet expectations in our life or faith. Maybe we were told things would be easier. Sometimes I think it's because we've been given the wrong expectations to begin with. This is my honestly challenged with the prosperity gospel is you know this idea that hey if you just believe in Jesus enough he'll make all of your wishes and dreams come true and then we get disappointed but so maybe it's it's some sort of unmet expectation maybe it's because we've been unsatisfied with answers to questions we just don't feel like we've had our our question in life answered and so we wrestle we struggle we deal with doubt and disappointment because of that or maybe it's just because life is filled with so much uncertainty And we don't have certainty. This is what we all in this room share is that not one of us has certainty. There is a gap between us and God and there's certain things that he makes known and certain things that he doesn't. And because of that, we live in this tension of not knowing or being disappointed at times or all of these things culminating to this breeding ground that can create doubt. And this is where Thomas, who was often called Doubting Thomas, was living uh, in, the, in the story that we're going to talk about today. And I just want to say up front, none of this is uncommon. We are all in good company, even among those in Scripture. Like the psalmist, we often groan, why are you doubting, O oh my soul? Why are you divided within me? Gary Habermas is a Christian scholar at Liberty University, and uh, he himself walked a long path of doubt, and he classifies doubt in three categories. The first is factual doubt. This is the kind of doubt where you feel like you don't have the information and you doubt because you don't have all of the facts or the right facts. And so there is this gap in our understanding or our knowledge that creates this this vacuum that creates factual doubt. The second kind of doubt is emotional doubt. This is often uh, because of some experience that we've had. Maybe it's been a tragedy or a difficulty or a loss of someone or whatever it might be, and because of that, we have this emotional hole where we're like, I just can't, I just can't reconcile this with what I know about God. I, don't, I can't understand this, and we've, we've dealt with this difficulty, or this wasn't how it was supposed to be, or whatever it is. And so some of us have been in these seasons where we, we know in our head, but in our heart we're confused. We're experiencing this chaos. The third type of doubt is a volitional doubt, and here, this is a gap in desire. This is the person that says, I don't want it to be true. I don't want there to be a God. And perhaps in some seasons or perhaps now you're in that place where you're like, I'm kind of fine with there not being a God to sort of interfere with my life or 
the way that I'm doing things. And so I say that to say not all doubt is created equal. It can't all be remedied in the same way either. And so it's important for us to know as we deal with those things, but also as we walk with people that are dealing with those things or will deal with those things, or perhaps you at some point will deal with those things. And so it's important to understand that we can't treat all of these things the same way. We can't throw cliches at people like just have more faith, right? Because these are real struggles that people wrestle with. And this was Thomas's struggle. And there's much we can learn from Thomas today, doubting Thomas. And so we're going to look at John uh, chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, you can open up there. We'll also have this on the screens as we follow along and starting in verse 24. Now, we're kind of jumping ahead in the chronology here a little bit, so I apologize for those of you that are really systematic and you're like, what is going on here? Like, we're jumping post-resurrection, all right? So in this story today, Jesus has already risen from the dead. He has just recently risen from the dead. And so I know that comes after Easter, uh, but truth be told, I, I called dibs on this topic. So I wanted it, and, uh, and so we, we, we're, we're jumping ahead here just a little bit. So post-resurrection, the disciples, many of them have, have been having these sightings of the risen Jesus, right? Which this is completely remarkable, never happened before. Now Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but never has a person raised themselves from the dead. And there's just an empty tomb. And so we'll just go ahead and say it's pretty unprecedented. We've got to give Thomas a little bit of credit here. But here is what John uh, records in John chapter 20. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So already a bummer, right? <laughs> wasn't, wasn't at the party. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. I mean, can you imagine, first of all, this situation, like all your friends, like talk about FOMO, you know, like they're all, yeah, we saw him. And he's like, right, you know. Like, I know some of my friends, and I know they would pull my leg. You know, I know they would mess with me. And so here he is, and here, here's his response. you got to appreciate his response here. He says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not believing. In other words, he's saying, prove it, you know. Good one, guys. Like, yeah, like that happens. We all know. And this is all, again, fed by probably some level of factual doubt for him because he's never, this is not a fact that makes sense to him that someone would be risen from the dead. Emotional doubt because all of his hopes and dreams were dashed at the cross when he thought that Jesus was gone. And so here he is and he's in this kind of place where it's just this perfect breeding ground for doubt and now all of his friends get to experience something he didn't experience and so he's like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And many of us have been there. Many of us can relate to this feeling. Like, we're like, man, my experience wasn't that. Or you hear somebody share some aspect of their faith story where, you know, something miraculous happens. And you're like, man, like, and we have this skepticism, this inner skepticism. And this was Thomas. And what I do appreciate about Thomas, not that he provides a perfect model for how we should approach Jesus. Like, hey, until you show me something. You know, I'm not believing. I don't think that should be our approach. But here's what I appreciate about Thomas. Here's the first thing that he does do right. He's honest about his doubts. He's honest. He brings them forward to the guys. And he's like, you know what? I, rather than suppressing that, rather than being about, around a bunch of people that believe and just feeling shameful about that and not believing, he, he, he offers it up to them. He says, listen, I'm not believing until I see it. And here, kids, you guys are with us today. I, this is really important for you to hear because I don't think that every church setting is like this. 
it's safe to have questions here. This should be the place where you ask your questions. And there is big questions. We're talking about the mysteries of God. There's much that even your parents don't understand. But it is, this is the safe place to ask your questions. This is a safe place to bring your doubts. This isn't a place where you come in and have shame piled on top of your shoulders because you can't figure things out in your mind or your heart. So I want to continue to create a culture here and parents in our homes create a culture where don't we want our kids to come ask us, right? Like we've learned some lessons, we've had some experiences, and so we want to create a safe place where you can come and ask your questions. We're not intimidated by them. And by the way, neither is Jesus. And so I love kind of the response we're going to see here in just a minute, but, but here's one of the things that I want to say up front, and, and I think we should all recognize, is that doubt is something that every human being on earth faces in some form or fashion. Why? Because none of us have certainty. One researcher remarks that we come into the world with question marks in our heads, and the question marks in our heads are never fully erased. First of all, doubt is not something that only people of faith experience. Or maybe I should rephrase that. Everybody has faith in something, right? So everybody has doubts in some way. C.S. Lewis, a former staunch atheist who referred to himself as the most reluctant convert in all of Britain. You remember this guy? You've maybe heard some of his works, right? I mean, he was one of the most reluctant and one of the most staunch atheists. He refers to himself as a reluctant convert. Like, he was actually upset. <laughs> he became, like, he's like, I, I, was, I came to the gates, like, of God, like, kicking and screaming, you know? And, and this was the mood. But what he says is that he struggled as both as an atheist and as a Christian. He said this, now that I'm a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks terribly, looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. And so those that tell you that they don't deal with it on, on any side of the subject, uh, they're just not being truthful. And those who wrestle with unanswered questions, unmet expectations, and uncertainty are all throughout Scripture. This is why I love the book of God's Word, because we can find stories we connect with, we relate to. It's not all clean and tidy. It's messy stories. You got guys like Job that are literally confronting God on, like, why would you let all this happen? You got guys like Moses that, you know, he got so frustrated at one point at God did something that he didn't even make it to the promised land because of the way that he responded. You got all kinds of, so you got John the Baptist, right, who's in jail, like, is this the one? Is this the Messiah, right? And on and on the list goes. You got Peter who eventually just, you know, for self-preservation just denies the whole, you know, association with Jesus. So here's what I'm telling you if you're dealing with this today. And hopefully this takes some shame and pulls it off of your shoulders this morning. You're in good company if you have unanswered questions, if you deal with doubt. The great 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once confessed, on a sudden the thought crossed my mind which I had abhorred but could not conquer that there was no God, no Christ, no heaven, no hell, and that all my prayers were but a farce and I might as well have whistled to the winds or spoken to the howling waves. And so even a giant of the faith who would conquer those doubts faced those doubts. And there's three things that we can do when such doubts arise. We can suppress them. We can push them down, pretend that they're not there. Or on the other side, we could just finally surrender to them. Like, you know what, if I'm not going to get any of the answers to my questions, then just forget it and finally surrender to them. But there is a third option. We can stand up to them. Tim Keller talks about doubting your doubts. Learning how to doubt your doubts, right? Expose them to the same level of scrutiny that you do anything else. And so confront them. And then also acknowledge them and enlist help. 
you've heard me share of this story before, but I love this story. And there's this moment where a man comes to Jesus asking for healing uh, for his child. And he says, I, he sort of approaches Jesus with the spirit of, Jesus, if you can. And Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the, bo- the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And that is a powerful prayer. And for some of you, I'm just giving you the script to carry to God to say, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief as you live in the tension of doubt. Because here's what I believe and here's what I've experienced personally. Jesus honors our honesty. He honors our honesty, especially when we approach him respectfully. But we must also be patient. As we read on in the story, verses 26 and 27 reads like this. Listen to this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. I mean, that is another remarkable. Thomas is like, he asked for one thing, and Jesus is like, I'm just going to walk right through the wall here. Like, here you are. And here he is, like, standing. He's like, the next level kind of moment. And now it's probably like, Okay, this just got interesting, right? Like Jesus walking through walls, and he's about to have this moment then. And so he responds. He says, uh, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he went to Thomas personally, and he said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. He speaks to the very two things he references, and then he says, stop doubting and believe. But here's the thing that's interesting. Jesus waited a week. He could have showed up right, he could have answered that prayer right then, right? When Thomas is having a faith crisis where he's throwing his hands up and he's like, I just don't know what to do. And he's having this doubt that feels like it's just crashing in on him. But Jesus waits a week. Why does he wait a week? He doesn't show up instantly. Why? Could it be that there is a value to our waiting and our wrestling? It is, in fact, our wrestling that strength, in our wrestling that strengthening can occur. It's where we build immunity for future doubt. Tim Keller points out that a faith without doubts is like a body without antibodies. So in compassion, Jesus actually waits a week. He lets Thomas continue to wrestle with these unmet expectations. He allows him to continue to wrestle in this uncertainty and fight through that and deal with that. And then a week later, he shows up and he reaches out his hands and he says, here, here's your evidence. Here's what you were asking for. And I think that's important too because, you know, sometimes you get these Folks saying, oh, it's a blind faith, it's a superstition, whatever it is. Well, it's based on a historical event. It's based on actual evidence. It's not a blind faith. Our faith is not a a blind faith. Jesus provides evidence that we can seek out and search. And the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus is that evidence. And so Jesus reaches out his hand and he offers Thomas the ability to respond, but Thomas must respond. And so we do have a part to play in this. We must actively seek. And here's what it says in Matthew 7, 7, 3. These are the words of Jesus specifically about prayer, but the principle applies. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be open. The important part here, and this is why I use this translation, is the keep on asking, keep on seeking. 
right? There is this active approach that we have toward God in seeking. And it is in seeking that we starve our doubts. Let me illustrate it this way. Now, you ever make one of those mistakes that you knew was a mistake? In fact, I'm going to tell you this story and kids in the room, you guys are going to know already that this is not something you're supposed to do. In fact, there's one thing you're not ever supposed to do on the beach, and I knew this because I knew this when I was your age, but I still did it. It's specifically in regards to these guys. And I don't know if you've ever been on a beach where these guys are hanging out, but they are, I I won't even say it, they're ruthless, right? And all they want is to eat. And they're just squawking out there the whole time, you know, just like they're trying to intimidate you. And I'm like, no, my blanket's going right here. I'm setting up shop right here. You guys can go on your way, right? And so I knew there is one thing you don't do with these birds. What is it? You don't, I know, I knew it too. I knew that you do not feed them. And so I'm setting out my stuff and like, I'm kind of like hanging out. And I like, I was so annoyed by these birds the whole time. And they're squawking. I'm watching other people like, you know, get bothered by them, like get their food out. And they're like, you know, they go up and they just like crowd around people. And like, those things are so annoying, you know. And uh, so I get out my food that I'm getting ready to eat lunch. And um, like, so there's like these big seagulls, and then there's these little sandpipers. They like run, you know, along the, you know, like this. And uh, they're like actually kind of cool. I like them. And there was one, like, this is where my mistake happened. Because there was one, and he was like, he was, he was hurt. He was limping along. He was like, it was a hurt sandpiper. And I'm like, my heart just kind of felt wrenched for this little guy that couldn't, like, there was food around and he just couldn't get there in time. He's like, you know, he's like, I'm like, oh, man. And Jess literally looked at me. She said, don't even do it. Don't do it. And before I could even think about it, I had a little piece of crust. And I'm like, I'm going to put it right at that little broken-legged, you know, like, I'm going to put it right out there. Boom. I threw it right in front of him. And, like, all of a sudden, two seagulls come down and just like, it's probably how he broke his leg to begin with. Like, they just like crashed into him and like ripped the thing out of like from him. He didn't even get it. I'm like, and then like all chaos ensued because once somebody's like, the word is out, every bird on the beach is like over our, and all the people around me are like, what have you done? And all these birds are crashing in. And the worst part is I'm still holding my sandwich and a guy comes over my shoulder and just kamikazes me and just like, like comes in and grabs my sandwich out of my hand. Like, no, like I'm talking like that is a bull. Now I'm up on my feet, you know, and I'm like, like, let's go. Like, I'm like, let's go. I'm like ready to take any bird that, and so I made the mistake. You know, and why? We know this, right? When you feed the birds, they multiply, right? Don't feed the birds. The same is true when it comes to our doubts. You cannot feed them. They will multiply. What you feed in your life will multiply. When it comes to fear, when it comes to disappointment, when it comes to unmet expectations, we can sit around and stew with those things, and all it does is just grows, right? You got, now you got all kinds of you know, these things squawking in your ear and coming after you. And so if you want to see progress with these things, you have got to starve them out. And I'm not talking about suppressing them. I'm talking about doing what we see uh, the Scripture saying in Matthew by seeking God. We feed something else in our life, right? We feed our faith. We feed the things that by surrounding ourselves with people that are going to encourage us, strengthen us, we, we worship God, right? We do these things that are going to to force the doubt off the beach. And in time, what happens is it proves faithful. It is something we have to be patient with. 
There's an old hymn called Jehovah Jireh that says, Wait for his seasonable aid, and though it tarry, wait. The promise may be long delayed, but cannot come too late. Verse 28, then we see Thomas's doubt finally overtaken with faith, and he just exclaims, my Lord, my God. And just imagine this moment where faith finally just breaks through. It's the moment that Many of us have experienced maybe more than one time in our lives where we just feel the power of God take over us and we have this exclamation, this proclamation of, you are Lord, you are God. And by the way, this is kind of a look back to um, in, in earlier, it's, it's a literary link back to John 1, this word Lord and this word God. And this is Thomas's confession, confession is that while you are, this, was, this is different, you are the Lord. You are my God. And faith is doing that very thing. It's exclaiming, my Lord, my God, not just with our mouth, but with our life. Listen, friends, and for those of you that might be out there that you're like, you know what, I still just have too many questions. I still have too many doubts. I still have too many things that are unresolved for me. Listen, faith is moving forward anyway. You're never going to get all of those detailed questions answered but at some point we come to this realization we're like you know what i don't know all the details but i know that he's the lord and i know that he's god and with that that is enough for me to move forward and so here is my little tag for you to remember when in doubt walk faith out when in doubt walk faith out because even as you walk the christian journey it doesn't mean that you're never going to have doubts you're never going to have questions but when in doubt we keep walking faith out because it's not just a feeling that we have in our heart it's a belief that transforms our life and this was thomas's never turning back moment and that's what all of us need is to get to that place where it's a no turning back kind of moment life would never be the same for thomas for thomas what he experienced that day changed everything church history asserts that thomas went on to india to share the news of the resurrected jesus he remained there 29 years. He planted seven churches until eventually he was martyred for Jesus in 72 AD. His proclamation of Jesus as Lord and God infiltrated his entire life until he breathed his last breath. As we return back to the story, I love how the account ends because Thomas got to see something with his eyes that most everyone else never would see firsthand. He got to touch and, and put his finger in a place where none of us will ever get the opportunity. And so Jesus responds to Thomas after he, in compassion, meets him exactly where he is. Jesus then tells him, he says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. And that's the rest of us. Listen, we can't have certainty about anything, but there will always be things we can't know or understand. But what we can have... And by the way, certainty is not, certainty and, and faith, those are, those are two different things, right? If we had certainty, we wouldn't need faith, but what we can have is confidence. We can have confidence, a confident assurance, because our God demonstrates his faithfulness, not just in word, but in his final deed. He gives us that to remember. The cross is what brings us back. When we celebrate around the communion table, we are reminded that we have assurance. We have a reason for our confidence. 
because God demonstrates his faithfulness not just in word but in deed. 2 Corinthians 5-7 through gives us this charge and challenge, challenge as we continue to walk out our faith day by day. It says this, For we live by faith, not by sight. For we live by believing and not by seeing. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. So here's the definition I want to offer you of faith. It's ongoing fidelity despite visibility. Ongoing fidelity despite visibility. Let me give you this final story to bring it home. I watched, maybe you guys saw this, 60-minute segment uh, a while back with this kid named Jacob Smith, 15-year-old free rider skier. Now, skiers are tough enough as it is, right? But free rider skier, these are the ones that basically go on all the trails where none of us would, they're not even really trails. They're like, that's not, that's like a deadly mountain. Like, we don't go there, right? And so they are the ones that are actually skiing towards the obstacles uh, rather than avoiding them. And there's these man-made jumps, rails, half pipes, and all this. But they're like, no, we don't need that. We want the jagged cliffs, the deep chutes. We want all of the things that Mother Nature created and that we're not supposed to be on. And so they go out and they find this thing. But here's the crazy thing about this guy, Jacob is that he takes all that on. He's one of the most brave and adventurous skiers in the world. Not many of us would even think about attempting this, but there's more. Jacob does it sightless. He's blind. And he skied, you know, uh, all of his life growing up. And then, you know, at some point in his journey, um, he, he lost his sight. But he loves skiing. He's like, I'm going to continue to do it. He has this extreme tunnel vision, no depth perception. And um, all, what he does see is like super blurry. But the, so if you go back, actually, so this is the kind of stuff um, that he's skiing. This is actually, you can't, quite, this is him right here <laughs> on this, this little dot. And then this is what he actually sees. So, I mean, imagine this being your vision and you're, you're skiing down all of these chutes. And so you're like, well, how does he do it? Well, his family keeps him on course. On competition days, Jacob's little brother, Preston, patiently uh, helps him hike to the top of the venue. It's so high, the lifts won't even take you there. Then his father, Nathan, helps him get down. Jacob has a two-way radio uh, that's turned up high in his pocket. His dad is on the other end at the base, calmly guiding him down the mountain. His father, Nathan, said this, it's, it's on me to make sure I don't let him down. I have to guide through narrower chutes or help him to not go off the side of a cliff. And Jacob's not reckless. He knows his limitations. I think he has the ability to ski anything on the mountain, but he's not going to try to do it by himself. Like he wants to be with somebody who he can trust. He won't ski with people he doesn't trust. And when Jacob was asked how much he trusted his father, he replied, I mean, enough to turn right when he tells me to. Now, friends, here on earth, we don't have the ability to see everything that's out in front of us. We don't have the ability to see what life will bring us. We don't even have the ability at times to see our way through the day that we're in. But, but Yahweh provides. Our God is a God who provides. Our God is a God who is on the other end of the line. And he's, if we're willing to listen to him, if we're willing to put our trust in him, he will guide us down the mountain. And if you've never put your trust in him, I would just offer that up to you today as the most incredible gift to finally say you know what I've tried to go down the mountain on my own and 
I need them. And so I would offer that up. I know that next week we have uh, a young lady at our church that's getting baptized, and we're going to celebrate with her. But and maybe next week's the week um, for you to make that decision too. Uh, but we'd love to walk with you through that. But for those of us that are just taking the journey, we've said yes. It's hard. It's difficult. The Christian journey is is one of the hardest things I've ever experienced, but it is absolutely worth it. And you have a Father that loves you, that you can trust. He is faithful. He's been faithful before. He will be faithful again. And it is that we put our trust. It is that in which we build our confidence. Let's pray. God, thank you for just how good you are, how trustworthy you are, God, that you have led us down so many mountains before. If each of us just considers our own experiences, the things that we've been over to been able to overcome, the I, I often think of just the things, God, that I, I just that you steered me clear of that I wasn't even aware of. But I just pray, God, and I ask for your people today, God. I pray for myself as well, God, that we could put our full trust in you, even when we can't see even when we can't understand, even when we don't know what the future will hold. We hear you on the other end, God, assuring us, guiding us. And so, God, help us to continue to remain steadfast, to maintain visibility despite uncertainty, to maintain fidelity, rather, despite not having full visibility. God, we thank you for your goodness. We trust in you today, we pray.